This is Corolla Digital. Hey, you guys, it's me, Allison. I just want to say thank you so much for listening. If you like what you're hearing, which, let's face it, you do, tell a friend. You can listen to us all sorts of places. A couple of them would be iTunes or AllisonRosen.com. Allison Rosen, Allison Rosen is your new best friend. Allison, Allison, with her good times never end. Allison Rosen, doing the way that you dance again. Allison Rosen, Allison's your new best friend. Hey everyone. Hi. Hello. It's me, Allison Rosen. Welcome to another exciting episode of Allison Rosen is Your New Best Friend. I'm sitting here with my old friend, Natalie Morris, although when I knew her, when we both lived in New York, she was Natalie Del Conte. Yes. You Has- say it so nicely. I do? Yeah. You always said my name nicer than I did. As soon as I started saying it, I was like, wait, I always messed it up. I think I was always like, is it Del Conte or Del Conte, right? But it's Del Conte, right? Well, neither of us speak Italian as far as – do you speak Italian? No. It's an Italian Italian. name, but that's why. Right. Yeah. But how did you used to say it? I used to say Del Conte. Okay. Just because I felt silly with the affectation of the accented E. Do you miss your old last name? It's such a good last name. Not that there's anything wrong with Morris, but – yeah, I liked Natalie Del Conte. I felt like it had a good romance language ring to it. Right. And uh, I do still feel like that's my name or my birth name, but Morris is your family name. I don't know. It's weird. You haven't changed your last I name, I haven't, right? although my intention always was to change my last name. At first, my – well, wait first. I need to explain okay. who you are and how I know you right. and I'm how they know you. Right. I'm your old friend, you already said, which right. I guess that means – well, I'm not, I'm not that old, but I am your no. – I'm your old best friend. That's right. Natalie Del Conte was my old best friend. Right. Is um, a companion show to this one. But so anyway, we were. But that show got canceled. You moved away. (laughs) That's right. And the internet benefited by getting you as a new best friend. Well, thank you. So we were friends when I lived in New York. Um, I think we initially met doing Red Eye. Right? Yeah, Yeah. That must be how we met. And then you came on the show when it was. I think actually when I did the Daily Allison web series, I'd had you on. Mm-hmm. I feel like I interviewed you. You were cooking lobsters. A couple of times, actually. Yeah. I did it then, when it was a YouTube show as well. Right. So, yeah, YouTube and Ustream. Mm-hmm. So I feel like there's a pretty strong, gr- small group out there of people. I don't know how many it is. Between 10 and 30. Yeah. <laughs> maybe 100. Right. A 100 would include the people who are less vocal, who are super fucking excited that we are together again. I think so. Usually they say for each person that actually does an at reply, they're speaking for at least 100 people who think oh, that. all right. So there's and, like 1,400 people right. who are I think it's super like excited. one person expresses the opinions of 100, usually. I don't know. Although, I like lately I feel like I'm getting a lot less at replies or fewer at replies rather on Twitter. So either I'm less interesting or people have less to say. Well, let can't the be show the be the No. Okay. Of course not. Anyway, what I was but what, what I was driving at, because I don't mean to say people aren't excited about us being together. I just mean like some super, ho- super hardcore old school Allison Rosen's your new best friend fans. Right. Including you at Puppy Farts. This one's for you. Is he's, there really an app, Puppy Farts? He's my favorite follower. Really? And you have a favorite follower? Well, no, not really. But I think it's like there's always one person who either favorites or retweets all your tweets who you're not people, sure yeah. is a real person because their avatar is so weird and their name is right. so weird. Like my husband, um, I think he said his is cow dung or something like that. It's always like an animal and something. Yeah. So Puppy Farts is the one who always retweets my stuff. 
My husband was getting like upset about something shitty someone had said, and I was like, well, "Who who said this?" You know, because I have hater. I'm like, maybe it's a hater, and it's like, I just like shit for brain, like ah, shit for brains. I'm like, you're getting upset at something that someone, and that's not his real name, but it was something like yeah. that. He's like, yeah, oh, no, I guess it was, you're right. Clayton's was at cow in my pants. <laughs> I feel like I've seen that you one. You might have. I think I've seen that one. So your husband. Clayton Morris of Fox and Friends still yeah. on the weekends or weekdays or weekends weekends mm-hmm. so that's he's had that job for a long time yeah now, right for six seven years now yeah all right so much to get into and your people would know you or you were a tech you still are a tech reporter but yeah. you were at CNET and CBS and did a whole bunch of TV stuff and tech reporting. Yeah. yeah. I feel like I, you saying it like that means I'm just not famous enough for your show. I just really wanted to be on your show because no, I'm your friend. No, that's not at all but, what it means. Yeah. <laughs> what it means is... You used to have a career, then you had some kids. That, I mean, But that's my that's totally insecurity not, talking to you. That is not how I meant it. What I meant... I, I do this preamble for... Every, I would want to do the preamble right. for everyone anyway. I don't mean to say you're hurting my feelings. I'm just telling you that... Maybe I'm insecure. I'm saying well, then you're podcast. in the right place. Okay. <laughs> okay. So now we go so back to. So let me to... tell you about my career. Uh, I was a tech reporter for CNET and the CBS early show. And uh, now I'm at NBC. So I'm still a tech reporter for CNBC and the Today Show. Nice. Yeah. And you're out here because you just were on. Queen Latifah show. Yes, I did my final taping of the Queen Latifah show. Oddly enough, I'm more nervous about this show than her show. But her show was canceled. Actually, that was this was the last week of filming, so oh, I won't wow. be coming back for this anyway. Um, so yeah, I do tech reports for the Queen Latifah show as well. Yeah, what got you into tech? That's a good question. Um, I, I was always kind of a weekend warrior about it. Like my dad would bring home software and make me figure out how to install it like way back before the internet and um i'm from the silicon valley so there was always something to yeah i mean we used to just like wander around fry's electronics and they're like what can this do i remember i brought (laughs) some software that would allow you to fax from your computer and we didn't even really like we had a dial-up modem but we didn't know how to get on the internet my dad's like figure it out or when i was uh in grade school, he would bring home Excel tutorials or Microsoft Word tutorials on a floppy disk mm-hmm. and make me do them and print out the exercises and make him like so that he knew that I was learning stuff during the summer vacation. I was going to ask. I wasn't sure whether he had you do this because he couldn't figure it out or because he wanted you to learn. He just thought That's, like this is the future. Exercise. You need to know how to do it. So That's smart. Even today, like I'm kind of a whiz on Excel and I just it, – it didn't – it's not so much that – like, I don't work in an office anymore where I need to use those productivity tools, but I'm really good at figuring out software because of it. So, yeah, I hated it at the time, but now I'm, you know, look where it got me. I'm the opposite. I'm like, I have this spreadsheet that I use to do the accounting for my show that my husband set up for me. And this makes me sound like such a, like, helpless little little lady that my husband set up my spreadsheet. But anyway, it's got these equations, but things have changed. Like the way I do it has changed. And instead of actually figuring out how to change the formulas in there, I just sit there with my calculator and I just manually do it all. <laughs> and then I just put it, I just enter it. Yeah. So like it's, it's now it's just basically a Word document. It's no longer functioning as a spreadsheet at all. Does he know that? No. That might... I mean, I could tell him, and he would help me. Because I do that for my husband sometimes. I'm like, okay, I just set this up so you can keep track of this, that, or the other. And if I knew that he had messed up my formulas, I probably would go in and give him a talking to and be like, come on. You know why I did this. You just push the equal sign, and there's the formula. Come on. 
I mean, yeah. I, I don't even know what the commands are to like add an extra. I don't sell or row. I don't know. Hmm. I never had to use Excel. I was never in a situation where I had to use a spreadsheet until now. And yeah, it's taking me a while. I use them even. I did tech PR for a while and we would set up these documents to track journalists and notes about them and things. So we had to like put very specific formats of things like how to expand the rows and uh, I don't know. It's pretty pointless. What skill, kind of, but... This is something I, I wonder, having been a journalist for years. What kind of notes would you would you take on the journalist? Yeah, you know what? It's funny because when I became a journalist, I wanted to ask if I could see the briefing document <laughs> about myself. Because if you have a briefing with, say, an Alison Rosen from <laughs> Huffington Post, then they're going to give a one-page synopsis of, like, this is what she writes, this is what she's into, this is My her My eyes beat. are getting so wide. I had and no idea it's that it's, intense. It can be upwards of, like, several pages. It can be some copies of most recently written articles and also articles you've written that are pertinent to the briefing. What, now, what um, would happen in a briefing? Well, you know, you get an art. I wonder if your audience knows anything about the PR industry, but uh, you'll get an email from a the PR who person works in it might, they who might know a lot. <laughs> yeah, who says, "Hey, would you like to meet with Adam Carolla from the Adam Carolla Show, talking about his new book?" And a journalist might say, "Yes, I would love to." And so then Adam would get the briefing document about the journalist who accepted the invitation. Oh, I see. So the client. Yeah. Gets the document. The client gets the document. And it has to be really perfect and checked over by three people. And then, yeah. And That's it's just, so interesting like, because... It the- could be some personal things that they've picked up on Twitter. Like, hey, I noticed you're really into serial podcasts. Like, I got a briefing about that recently because I've been tweeting about it a lot. Mm. Um, so they say, I'm into serial too. What do you think of this? And then I totally bit, even though I couldn't use the product. You know, so... Right. Yeah. So... See, because I've interviewed like a bazillion thousand million people with Mm -hmm. 14,000 zeros at the end of that um, for print journalism. And so rarely did they ever know anything about me. They they don't read the document, but the PR company makes it. In fact, we should issue some kind of challenge. Like somebody find (laughs) a briefing document about either me or Allison and send it to us. I'd love to see it. Right. I feel like mine would say kind of a broken Wikipedia, you know, probably some accuracies, probably not. Would stuff like doesn't return phone calls be in there? No, because at that point they've already accepted the briefing you right know? they may say some personal oh, right. things yeah i'm like, thinking there's like internal documents that the like within the so this is when i was a music journalist I'm thinking like within the record label there would be internal stuff but this is actually for the person who's going to be meeting with yeah, you so yeah but i don't yeah, know we I would, would write we would things love to like see that. lives in santa clara has two dogs you know in case like in the off chance that your executive can make a good connection with that journalist you're just trying to set them up for success. And then, like you said, they don't read it. Right. So now you said that you received one recently that had the serial stuff. That was a pitch, though. That wasn't a a pitched okay. email that said, hey, I'm really into serial. And so usually, I think, when they send us pitches, they're going to look at as much public stuff about us as they can find. Oh, like right. Like on our Instagrams totally, yeah. and Twitters and things like that and try and So you were the journalist you. that they were trying to pitch right, in right. that for scenario. For today's show piece. Yeah. 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 And so how often do you do Today's Show and what's that like? A couple times a month. Um, yeah, it's good because I at CBS did the CBS early show. So, yeah, I do like Today's Show. I'm used to the morning shows. And uh, 
I mean, I should be the anchor, let's be honest. Let's be honest. But it needs to be said. But I'll do the Vanna White tech stuff, like, this is a new laptop. That's basically <laughs> Is what that I the do. voice you use when you do it? Sometimes. Remember when I was going to voice coaching and I would call you afterwards in tears? Do you remember those I, phone calls? I don't remember. CBS put me in voice coaching and it was I do not. Are you sure it personal. was me you called? I feel yes. like I would remember this. Yeah. I am That's why I cut my hair. Old. Remember? I had to cut my hair because of that wicked lady. Are you sure this was me? This, you were there when I cut my hair. Yes. Okay. You, you didn't return the phone call. <laughs> yeah. It's on your briefing document. But I didn't remember that you She's had to cut your hair. Friend. Yeah, because CBS sent me to this voice coach so like who it's was... affecting your voice. She thought that I sounded too young, and she said, you have daddy issues. Um, Based on your voice? And that's what comes across on the air, is wow. that when you're saying, this is the new Amazon Kindle, and it holds 1,000 books, what I hear is, is that okay? Am I not threatening you? Is that okay? You have a very like pleasing quality to your voice. Uh-huh. I had a drink after every session because it was so hurtful because it was like therapy where she would tell me this is what you portray to the world basically and through it's your like voice this or through your hair. Snively little like y- your whole this is what I see on air. Right. Like she's a beautiful girl but is that okay? Am I not threatening you? <laughs> That's so interesting. And hurtful. And upsetting. Yeah. I mean, how would you feel if someone said that to you? I would want to walk into the ocean. Right. (laughs) Well, I feel like occasionally Twitter people on Twitter decide that they're going to just give you some constructive criticism. But that's totally different because they're not professional assessors of that. So wait, And also, the New York Times had something this week about how Twitter and Facebook is becoming increasingly hateful and they don't have a really good policy to handle that kind of stuff. And so you just start to dismiss it like – these people are a-holes. Who cares? Right. You know, whereas before, those opinions mattered a little bit more because there wasn't the everyday Joe on there. But now that everyone and their mother is on there, we get a lot of sort of lowering of the conversation level, mm-hmm. you know? so Yeah. I was – Gary and I – so Gary is not here right now, but Chris is – ably and capably handling the Gary duties. Hello, Chris. Hey, boo. And Kaylin. Hello, Kaylin. Hello. You were missed recently on the Thursday. Well, actually, by the, when this airs, you will you will have been back on the Thursday show, I think. I'm losing track of days and times. I missed two shows. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, people, I think you've been missed. You are missed. But you're back now. I am indeed. Yay. Okay. So Gary and I were recently talking about how YouTube comments, those are some of the worst. Oh, yeah. But those have been for a long time. Yeah. YouTube has been lowbrow- for a really long time. So I tried to, I launched a show, it was kind of a test type thing called Crash Test Mom about two years ago, which was kind of like my product testing background at CNET applied to baby gear. And because it's really tough to like choose a stroller and high chair yeah, and all that stuff is miserable. Um, and it just did not work on YouTube. I think it would have worked in any other platform, but it was like the the parenting stuff that does well on YouTube is like, come with me to my home birth and watch it or um, <laughs> let me like smack this other mom in the play gym because right, it's stuff know, that does well on YouTube. Yeah. It's, it's low brow, you know, mm-hmm. or uh, maybe just not quite as high class as crush. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's I know what you mean. Because when I, when I did that show, I, I, I enjoyed it. But then as soon as my kids grew out of the carriers, I was like, I don't want to touch another one. I just, I wasn't interested in anymore, so but I'll pass all that knowledge down to you at some point. Thank you, God willing, I ever get pregnant. So wait, let's go back. I, I know let's, let's go knock b- on some wood because I think you are going to get pregnant. Oh, thanks. Yeah, let's go back to 
when you would um, visit this therapist voice coach person, because I'm fascinated by this, even though apparently I knew about it at the time, which makes me feel terrible and like I'm losing like I'm losing chunks of memories. This is how it starts. Well, that's okay. That's but okay. so anyway. But you know what? I, I will say this. It, it's, I'm going to look you in the eye and say it. But you were like one of the kindest friends I've ever had, though. And Thank you. like not remembering these little things. Like you were with me through some pretty hard times in my life. And I every remember, time. I remember those times. <laughs> yeah. Every time I would call you, you were kind and non-judgmental, And you would say the wise thing that I needed to hear to like push me through it. Whatever. I don't know where you got all those words, but you had it. I got them when from I, you recommending like, Byron Katie's book. All that stuff. <laughs> Just yeah. Kidding. Well, I still do all the like personal help reading, but like you were, you had the language beyond just the books that I needed at the time. And so like, okay, you don't remember what boots I had or me cutting my hair, <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter. Cause it's oh. still, well, thank you, know. you so much. And just to, to repay the compliment, um, you were also like one of the most compassionate oh. and kindest people in a city that can be really lonely. Yeah. And yeah. I feel like we bonded over a lot of just shared frustration with right. like getting our lives on track. Yeah. And stuff, so we became friends during one of the coldest winters and we had both been pretty new to the city and it was mm. just nice to find someone that was warm. Yeah. And real. That felt like a friend. And yeah. I remember the first time I came to your house, it was like four degrees outside. Right. It was super cold. It was so cold. I'm like, we're still going to get together <laughs> because we have got us. And to get people from Manhattan to make the trek to Brooklyn is like a big deal. Yeah. yeah. So thank you for making it the trek to Brooklyn back then. Okay. So here's my question. So CBS had hired you to do their tech reporting. But then they decided that they needed to make modifications. Is that a typical thing that, that they do? What do you mean? Like like when you – CBS had you meet with this voice coach. Oh, um, I think most on-air personalities do go to voice coaching. Uh, when this, they're already on the air though? Yeah. Okay. This person was on retainer for ABC and CBS mm-hmm. and she saw – Pretty much all the talent there. Okay. Um, so it's, it was kind of routine that you would, was, they would start and then you would go see her. Yeah. Um, and I knew some other people that were going to her that just sort of dismissed what she was saying, like, knock it off. And I think I was – I had just turned 30 and I was just – I didn't have the balls really to tell her, like, hey, you're hurting me, knock it off. I, right. Or I don't agree with you or this is not my – consistent with what I think is my brand, you know, like cutting all my hair off in this like very old 60 minutes type style cut when I was only 29. It just, I wouldn't have done that. Right. Now, and that was her back, recommendation. Oh yeah. She sent me to her hairdresser what? and made me do it. <laughs> How long was your hair before? It was about the length it is now. And yeah, she chopped it like up to my ears and she called the hairdresser and was like, you need to give her her look. And you know, CBS is an old network, so youth just doesn't jive as much on that network, at least at the time. Um, and so, yeah, they were just trying to sort of fit me into a morally safer type. It just didn't, you know. <laughs> Give her the morally. <laughs> right. Well, Michelle, Gielan, and I used to joke that we were both the same age. And we're like, why does Bob Schieffer go on the air and look amazing? Because it's lit for him and right. his skin. Why do you, you're like 900 years old and he looks amazing, <laughs> right? And then we go on and you can see bags. And it just, like, it didn't. I feel like I'm incriminating myself by saying that CBS is not for young people, but you know what I mean. I know what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. It's just, so well, they call themselves the Tiffany network. They mm-hmm. are for, you know, an older demographic. So 
when I would go on, I had sort of a teenage girl inflection. But they obviously would, liked that enough when they first hired you. Well, because I'm good at what I do. Okay. And you can dress me up in the makeup. And, you know, I it's not that... It's not that something about me was offensive. It was about polishing the diamond. Right, right. Calling myself a diamond. (laughs) Um, Like, I used to do this. And this, this, I mean, it was a really hard experience, but invaluable because I Mm -hmm. do use those lessons on the air as well. Whereas before I would end my sentences in an upward inflection, and a lot of people from California do that yeah, as I'm, well. I think I do. And it I does do. not translate on the the air. It's not authoritative. Um, she told me never to use the words but, so, uh, there's one more. Basically, actually, these are not words you should use as a broadcaster. I right. did not know that because... Why not but? Well, no, maybe no. But is not... You shouldn't start a sentence with but. Well... But I feel this way. Right. Or, you know, it's not declarative or authoritative. So mm-hmm. um, I used to say actually a lot. And she's like, just cut that off. It's like it negates your point or basically this is the way it works. It's right. just that kind of stuff. Um, end your sentences with a sharp period. When you hear that period or see it in your head, stop talking. Um, I could be very tautological and she helped me to stop that. Mm-hmm. Now, what would so, that mean to be very tautological? Like you, like you repeat yourself. Back. Yeah. Okay. You, you make the point and then you come back around and make it again. Right. Like I just did. I think I do that. I think I do all these things you're not supposed to do. You People on Twitter don't let me know if I do. But I feel – see, I just said but I feel. <laughs> Actually, basically. Can we put electric shock under your seat? In this day and age. Um, I'm just going to do all the bad tics. It's really it's hard, like <laughs> though, because you have to think authoritatively and concisely and speak that way on the air, and you have three minutes to do it. Go. Right. Because that's how long we have for our segments in New York. You know how that goes. Yes. You have three minutes. Be brilliant. Uh, okay. <laughs> I don't have to say. It's a Kindle. Yeah, that's a totally different thing. And I used to do that kind of stuff. The three-minute right, satellite the hit. stuff. Yeah, that's a totally different thing than this long-form podcast where I think people are used to – like, do you listen to Serial? You do listen to Serial. Yes, I do. She, Sarah Koenig or Koenig, the host of that podcast, yeah. speaks in more of a loose podcasty kind of uh-huh. informal a way. A casual vernacular. Yeah. I appreciate that a lot. I do too. I think that that is what people are looking for on a podcast, which is just my excuse for – being pretty loose with my verbal stuff. Well, you can maybe split the difference because you can learn to shave out some of these word whiskers that you just used to stall. Word whiskers, that's good. But uh, yeah, that's from like eighth grade <laughs> um, English class. You can always learn to tweak your speech without yes. losing who you are. Right. Whereas if I were doing this for a broadcast, according to this woman, like I should. Maybe I'll try and talk to you. <laughs> ask me a question and I'll give it to you in old world broadcast speak. Okay. Should I, ask you, should I ask you a question about yourself or should I ask you a question about some kind of product? I don't know. Uh, do you have any questions for me? <laughs> sure. Well, I would like to know how motherhood is going. How old are your kids? Well, Allison, my kids are two and four and one of them is in an elementary school, which I'll tell you about after the break. <laughs> Is that good? <laughs> that was wonderful. Yeah. It's I a mean, toss to something. You're emphasizing the wrong words for reasons you don't know why. It's not casual speak, right? So That's uh, why they all have that same sound. Yeah. Yeah. But 
why is are we is somehow or am I able to take in more information here and someone speak that way? And I think that's one of the things I think that my husband is such a talented broadcaster because he doesn't do it. Oh, interesting. Because he speaks very casually. Even when he's reading a prompter, he still can do it in his own voice. So in my house, because we're both TV broadcasters, it tends to be really funny whenever someone's doing a a toss to something because we just pick them apart. We're like, <laughs> why would you, you know, one of the biggest things that, that uh, this voice coach hated was emphasizing the word and when mm-hmm. you're giving like, hey, this thing was red, white and blue. <laughs> like, why would you do that when the real information is in the list, not yeah. the conjunction? It's so dumb. Or I hate when people start sentences with yes. Like, hey, Allison, we're going to see what the weather is after you. Yes, Natalie, it is rainy out there. Like, why? Why do that? It's such a facade. It's such a charade. Did she say anything about people using the word absolutely instead of yes? No. Does that bother you? That bothers me, yes, because you take a person who would normally just speak like a human being and you stick them on TV and the second they get uncomfortable, ask me any question where the answer is going to be yes. Okay. Are you wearing black today? Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) I love, <laughs> I love that that's the question you chose. Right. That is a question where the answer is going to be yes. Um, absolutely, absolutely. My my daughter says, well, I'll tell her something like, absolutely not. You can't put that thing in your mouth or something. I'll say, Ava, can I have a kiss today? Absolutely, yes. Oh. She uses that. Ava, you know, is that bunny over there? Go pick her up. Absolutely, yes. It's so cute. Right. It's a word that young people can use. A two-year-old <laughs> can get away with that. But that's a broadcaster cute. might should know better. Well, so I did early morning stuff for NBC in New York every Saturday morning for like three years. And I uh, see it totally self-conscious about the fact that I just put like in there when it wasn't necessary, probably. It was around three years. But anyway, the point is, <laughs> I wish they had sent me to someone because I'm sure that I was word whiskering it up all over the place. It was like a, there had been like a little... Like maybe I should my have words had gotten a little trim or something. I think I wasn't doing it any. It was I wasn't doing it anymore when when we yeah. met. Um, but I was going on red eye all the time. But I think the point of me bringing that up is that I think that old world media and new world media are going to meet in the middle because at some point our generation we're going to be old enough to be watching the news. We'll be the Bob Schieffers. And we're not going to want to tolerate that kind of insincerity or speech that you know that person doesn't talk like that. Yes. You know, for some reason, our parents' generation, they hear it. Like my dad was telling me how it annoys him when, um, oh, what's his name? The Nightly News, NBC Nightly News anchor. Um, Brian Williams. Brian Williams goes on the na- late night shows because he's like, that guy should not be doing funny things. And I'm like, I <laughs> love that he does that, actually. I think that he should add some personality to his brand. Why not? Yeah. But for my dad, it really bothers him. That's interesting. Like He wants that sort of old school. He wants stayed. that conservative facade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was just about to say something. Okay. One more word tick typed question then we move on to more emotional stuff but what i've noticed when I, like i'll listen to talk radio and someone will be interviewed and they'll be saying something and they're trying to come up with the next word they'll be like it was a it was a hot day and people were swimming in the 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 pool mm-hmm. they'll repeat a word and i wonder or no, no, not they won't do it the way I said in the the, 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 the pool. Like they'll do this rapid fire repeat of yeah. a word, which your ear you just kind of tune that out. I would just say um or uh, 
And I'm wondering, is that a trick to avoid um or uh to like rapid fire repeat a word in this weird staccato way that for some reason isn't as atrocious as you think it would be? I don't know. I think, you know, I was taught to just be quiet, like just wait for it to come. Your brain is going to do it. And in that three seconds where you can't remember the word, it feels like eternity to you because you're live on the air. And I'm sure the silence is frightening. It is. And a lot of times when you have these anchors, they jump in on you where you're like, well, I felt that was very... Oh, you thought it was threatening? Oh, okay. You know, they'll, they'll fill in the blank and you're like, just give me a second because we, it's a medium that does not allow for time. Basically, I'm telling you <laughs> that your medium is so much better. What I remember, and this was something I had to unlearn um, for what I do now, but I was taught never, ever say I don't know on television because you're there to be the expert. So... Never so if so never say I don't know and if you don't know the answer say you know what I'm gonna have to look that up and get back to you and I was like but I'm never gonna get back to the, like right. when am, I, am I gonna call up the anchor later that day or could you say huh I hadn't thought of it that way but the way I see it is well I think it was like if they say uh, and. How much is that? You know, let's say let's say you're doing what I oh, heard oh. referred to as shit on a table, which is like, look at these clothes. Oh my god, that's my career. Is <laughs> no. shit on a table? No, you do important stuff. On important tables. shit. On important table. shit on a table. Ex- no, it's mostly expensive shit on a table. Yeah, yeah. And let's say they say like, oh, and how much is that? And you don't. You know. would. Yeah, you would never say I don't know. You'd say I'm gonna have to look that up and get back to you. Um, I've done things before where – because the things that I always do are computers or cell phones. So you want to know price, availability, storage capacity, battery life. Right. Um, and so those are the things that I usually have memorized about every piece of shit on my table. <laughs> and uh, if I forget something like that, I'll give a range. Yeah. Like that's under $100 and then move on. Do you practice ahead of time? When I used to have to have a lot of stuff memorized, I would make people run through it with me ahead of time. Um, I find the more I do that, the worse I am. Oh, really? Yeah, because then I'll get attached to some kind of joke or like quip that I think is mm-hmm. funny and it doesn't come out well on the air. It's better that you spend enough time writing the segments that you know the stuff. And then really what I try and focus on is listening because how many times do you watch back a segment and you see, oh, the, the anchor said something funny. I didn't hear it when I was on the set because I was so focused on moving on. So I try really hard to listen mm-hmm. more than talk. So, okay. So back so, to this horrible woman. Was she right that you had daddy issues? Uh, to some degree. Yeah. But it's not. Yeah. I think I was really taught to second guess myself a lot I, um, growing up. So I think that's where that comes from. Um, but I don't think I understood that at the time. And I was like, I like my dad fine. I, but I did know that I wasn't being assertive enough. And maybe it was a sort of early lean-in type philosophy. <laughs> like, get in there, you know. And she was like, look, I'm a bitch. You need to channel some of me when you get on the air. And it was like putting on someone else's coat, you know. You you can only be as authoritative as you can be, and then you have to be yourself. Mm-hmm. And I heard your um, interview with Wink... Martindale, yeah. Martindale. And that was one of his big lessons. Like how many years did it teach him, did it take him to learn that is you have to be yourself. But as broadcasters, it takes a long time to learn that. As human beings, it takes us a long time to learn that. Like we're all homo sapiens in this really odd 
society that we've created. None of us really know exactly how to navigate it. And, you know, that's why so many of us are in therapy. Like, it's weird to know how to present yourselves when we're not hunting and gathering anymore. We live in a really weird world. I think that's totally true. It's so weird. And I think about that all the time when I'm like, oh, I don't know how to present myself. And I'm like, such a charade this life on earth that I'm thinking, how will I present myself to this producer so they think that I'm worthy in some way or I don't know. It'd be so nice just to not even have to be concerned with it. Yeah. I don't know if it's possible. I don't think homo sapiens are supposed to. We're supposed to find our family group, care for them. Like the hormones that run through you when you have kids are very you stay put, you nurture the nest, you know, like I feel like the adventurous side of me Mm -hmm. really was birthed out of me when I gave birth to my kids. So yeah, I I don't think we're supposed to be dealing with all these like external perception issues. It's so odd. Right. And then the internet adds this whole like extra. Right. And I feel like at one point, like I was a pretty popular Twitterer person on Twitter. (laughs) Um, And I still have a a respectable amount of followers, but I feel like now I don't know what to say to them anymore because I don't have a daily show to promote. Uh, Sometimes I do high-profile shows, so there's no consistent brand. And then when I put myself out there, like, I believe this thing, like, I find it really hard to assert myself about gun control or whatever else I really think. Mm -hmm. I feel like I don't have the balls anymore to put it out there because I don't have a medium to keep going back and forth. Right. And, and then I'm worried about like, what if this, what comes off as this or people think this, you know, like it's too much in my head when I'm like, really all we're supposed to do is take care of our kids and eat deer that's <laughs> hunted by our husbands. Right. It's not supposed <laughs> to be like this. Right. Well, so how has having kids changed you? Uh, in a lot of ways. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like, I, sometimes I think I, you you lose contact with your friends anyway, but all of our friends moved out of New York and mm-hmm. went to L.A. So part of me was like, is it me? <laughs> I don't want to be my friend anymore. Is Michelle left? And Michelle Geelan was a anchor of CBS News. And then our friend Anna David and Lauren, who've all been on your show. And um, it feels for a while like you're stalled, like. The kids are really important, and I'm really proud of the mother that I am to them, but it took some getting used to to put my career on the back burner and my goals on the back burner. And um, like my therapist said, motherhood can erode your confidence because you're looking at these kids and you're never looking at yourself anymore. What do they need? What what do I do to serve them? And then it's like, oh, yeah, me. I never shape my eyebrows anymore (laughs) you know things that you like sort of basic human dignities like the other day I flew back from San Francisco to New York and my husband picked us up but our bags hadn't arrived on the carousel yet and after a six-hour flight with a two and a four-year-old plus taking them both potty and you know they're both like peeing at different times so I'm holding a big bag of stuff and then he got him in the car and then I went back in for the bags and then he had to circle and in that like three minutes that I stood at the curb in the cool air by myself I was like this is nice (laughs) quiet and I'm like this is what comfort is now just like three minutes of silence at a curb yeah so I love being their mom and I feel like I you know yeah it's it's wonderful but uh it's also very hard it's it's always going to be a mind game no matter what so Mm -hmm. it's always like even just being in LA for this thing like it's hard to be away from them even for two days and 
you're always I don't I don't feel quite as much guilt, but it's always like how does that affect them? How do I mitigate that? And you know, right? It's so tough. so what happens when you have to come here for work? Um, well, I guess well, because your husband works on the weekends. Yeah, that and works well. my daughter had a babysitter this morning. My son was in school, and then uh, after nap, they're home with daddy, and then yeah, I'll be home to take over tomorrow. So yeah, we're able to sort of leapfrog a little bit. So you and I knew each other at a time when we were both, for the most part, single. Mm-hmm. I mean, you weren't single the whole time, but um, or were you? Mostly yeah, single, pretty yeah. much. But I mean, you you knew you knew the man who you would you would marry. Um, yeah. But yeah, we were single and struggling, and actually, like a movie would would turn that into something glamorous. But it really it was those were tough times. Yeah, and glamorous though. I guess. I mean, we did they stick were rollers and... on fuzzy hats. and <laughs> We did. And we used to go on TV shows and then get made up like I am right now and then go out in this fancy makeup right. to That's true. fancy places and talk to fancy people. Were you at that party? Remember that time we talked to the guy from, uh, who was the killer in the first Scream movie? Skeet something? Ulrich? Is that his name? This, this is ringing a bell. Yeah, it was like fancy stuff. We did we did fancy things. Yeah, I guess. It and, was, it but was, it also was hard. Yeah. We did the kind of stuff that like looks good on Facebook. I want to put it that way, you know. Right. <laughs> we were good on paper. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we did. I, I don't see what would be so hard about a movie about us. <laughs> it would be You're fabulous. Right. But I do you feel like your life is more full and meaningful now? Do you miss that time like how, does, Both. how do you feel about that? Both. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I miss, um, like the friends that are still there, I can see still having the freedom to just go for a coffee or, you know, um, but I actually, I think I, I didn't like that freedom. Like no one cared what I ate for dinner. It didn't matter. And that felt lonely. And I wrote this post, uh, on my own personal blog, I think, or maybe on Medium, when I turned 35, it said, I'm not a lonely asshole anymore. Because I felt like I was a lonely asshole. Like, I only cared about myself. And I mean, I care about you and our friends quite a bit. My family is far away. I just didn't have the perspective that we are supposed to care for other human beings. Mm -hmm. Our hormones make it so that is what we do as humans is procreate and care about other people and make families. And we made a lot of excuses for being lonely because we didn't know how to handle it. I think you and I had to talk through it a lot because it hurt to Sundays were my worst days because Saturdays, you do something fun, something mm-hmm. fancy, right? But Sundays, if you don't have a boyfriend or a significant other, what do you do? Is you go to the gym and you read books. That's what I did anyway. And it felt very lonely. And I think that we had to justify that. So we had to talk through it. Yeah. Yes. I think that you can get into a mindset where you perceive feeling lonely as a weakness. Yeah. That's so interesting what you're saying. What you're saying is that there's a biological purpose for that lonely feeling and then it's sort of a trigger that you're supposed to be right. in a community. And I think I wore it as a badge of honor. Like I'm lonely but I can handle it because I'm well, yeah. tough. Right because cause in that mindset you're like well the alternative is I'm going to run back to that guy that I know is bad for me. Or the alternative is to feel weak and undesirable. Right. Like I'm alone. No one likes me. I must be undesirable. I'm going to be alone forever. This is really sad. <laughs> yeah it just... It's very scary. It's scary mm-hmm. to be alone. And I think that I, wi- I wish that I hadn't been so hard on myself about being lonely. 
Um, and I, of course, sometimes I look at my kids and I'm like, I wish people, I wish someone could show me a picture of these two angelic faces and say like, look what you're going to get through <laughs> it and have these beautiful kids. And, um, when I was on my honeymoon, we were at this, where'd you guys go? We went to France and we were in Bordeaux and there was this family festival right along the river there. And there were families walking hand in hand. And I remember thinking, wow, like. I didn't just fall backwards into a family. I was supposed to have one. Like, we're supposed to have someone to share our lives with as homo sapiens. That's a very natural desire. But I was so damn hard on myself for failing to do that. Like, What do you mean? I was just hard on myself. Like, you're alone. Everyone has a boyfriend and you don't. And no one cares. Like, your whole family's on the other coast. No one cares where you have breakfast. And... (laughs) No one talks to you when you get home from work, except you did. Um, And that makes you an undesirable person. And you're feeling lonely and that's weak. Mm -hmm. That's a horrible way to talk to yourself. It's a very sabotaging way to talk to yourself. But I didn't know how else to reconcile it because the root of it was just fear and loneliness. Well, so then how – like my – and I've told my – my whole story uh, too many times on this podcast, but the real, you know, thumbnail version is, I just held up my thumb in case anyone's wondering what a thumbnail is. It's this <laughs> thing on the end of my thumb. The thumbnail version is always, always went after the wrong guy, forced myself to try to go after the right guy, the right, good on paper, like we were just talking yeah. about. Uh, then that didn't work. And I was like, okay, well, fuck it. Uh, nothing, none of this works. And um, I, it, it if I can't go out with the one that, the ones that I'm like drawn to because they're bad and so something you know there's something in me that's like neurotic and acting out and, and it doesn't work out and is somehow also painful when I end up going out with the ones that I think I should go out with right. I give up and I read a bunch of self-help books and I was single for a long time yeah. and to the point where it was past the point where I should have been over it and I should have thought maybe it would be nice to get back into a relationship except that I was still relieved to not be in a relationship I think because for me but you were really hard on yourself too yeah like but for me that I don't know that I would rather be dumped than dump someone but having to get out of a relationship like being the one to want to break up a relationship was such a so hard for me and like I just remember that that it happened two times in a row um, the two longer relationships that I was in in New York, I I was the one that broke up both of those. And when I had the realization that I think this is over for me, like that feeling was like akin to death. I don't know if I went numb or I don't know what it was, but I just yeah. I felt like I wasn't alive anymore. It was the weirdest I don't know. It was the weirdest. I don't have a lot of experience being the one to break up. Like usually I'm the one who's like, but wait, come, you know. Yeah, I'm not ready. Um, right. But so anyway, um, and what my point, oh yeah. So anyway though, but then I, you know, I did do some dating um, and then moved to California and then met my husband and it was totally different than anything I had been in before and, you know, everything's, and now we're married and yay. But so we did this weird thing where we would like color coat these types of men by archetypes right like like this barnacles like oh oh yeah we had we had this idea for um 
to start a blog or some kind of <laughs> I mean, right. Makes it sound like called such, lame barnacles. Oh, yeah, it makes it sound like such awful shrill. We were just so bitter harpies. and lonely. We were. We got to that point where we were. Yeah, yeah where we would label a guy who wouldn't go away in your head was still hurting you in your heart. Yeah. But couldn't offer you any kind of real relationship as lame barnacles <laughs> because they're lame, but they're There's, like they have their, calcified yes. on your heart and they won't go away. I end up married my lame barnacle, so I guess he wasn't quite as lame. Um, but yeah, it's just one of those things that like you talk to yourself as if you're doing something wrong, right? Because, oh, I should have known that he was this kind of color coded person. He was right. the wrong person or the artsy person or the noncommittal person or whatever. Like, I didn't see the label properly, and therefore it's my fault for not. And all of that, when it when it's the right person, like, in the right time, it all, all just melts away. And yes. whatever, like, you've labeled them as or it doesn't even matter. Yeah, that's yeah. that's what I'm saying. I mean, I think it's a combination because you want – I do think being self-aware and being aware of your own patterns, especially if you're sabotaging yourself, I think that is really yeah. important. At the same time, I think so many people walk around. We all have our stories of, oh, I do this or, oh, I do this. And maybe it's not as – true as you've convinced yourself maybe right. there's not something that's actually wrong with you it could just be that you haven't met the right person yet right right i do think that's possible so, and well, it's so- your saboteur that says that thing to you like yes oh i wish you wouldn't have been so needy or i would really nitpick like down to the phone call like i wish i had not texted at this specific time or whatever you know that's all like, i did yeah. i feel like that is all i did well you know, now you know on iMessage they have that dot 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 where you yeah. see if someone's writing you back I would have obsessed over that if they had it when we were single. Like, they almost wrote back, but they didn't actually send it. I have no idea what they meant to say. What is that? Yes. Whenever I see the dot, 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 and then it goes away, I'm like, did they, like, start writing in the wrong window or something? Or or they wanted to say something and they chickened out. Or My sister will say it to, to my husband. She's like, you're dot, dot, dotting me. What do you have to say? <laughs> so... Um, but you couldn't do that if you were dating someone. No. Like, what's the dot, dot, dot? There should be an emoji for that. Like, dot, 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 question mark? Yeah. What were you going to say? Because I really want to know. Right. Well, so that's my, so that was my little thumbnail. What's your, what's your story? About being lonely? About the kind of guys you, you used to like and then how you met your husband. And, I mean, that's very fascinating that he went from being a lame barnacle to being your husband. I know. Because... Yeah, I, for for him, it wasn't the right time. And, you know, I kept telling myself that, but he just wouldn't go away in my heart and in my head and on my phone. And, you know, he, you were, I, yeah, I mean, you were convinced that you needed to not to never speak to him again, right. because I knew and I knew I had this vision in my head, like, I'm going to have to separate myself from him. And I even <laughs> I, I thought, OK, I'm going to find a really boring professor from Columbia <laughs> because I lived in the Upper West Side who has a beautiful bookshelf and an Upper West Side apartment and is balding and wears glasses and reads all weekend. And I'm going to sit next to him for the rest of my life. That's what that was what I was going for. And that I will always pine for Clayton Morris. Um, and yeah, it just happened to, you know, it, it just worked out for us that I didn't have to marry a boring professor. So well, so what? Yeah. But I knew in my head that like, eventually I'll run into him again. And I will know that, like, I always was supposed to love you. So that's so sweet. But yeah. just so people understand the extent of this. Of his lame particle. No, that's not what I was going to just that's not what I was going to say. Understand <laughs> it was the ex- extensive. That's not what I was going to say. What I was going to say was understand the extent of of the kind of situation we're talking about. It was the kind of thing where 
all your girlfriends were convinced that he, because of the amount of pain you were in at the time, we were all convinced that he's not, this is guy's bad news. Yeah. Yeah. I feel bad. Like, it's the kind of thing where but one should never... But you never said anything about I didn't, him. Okay, like, good. Like, he's lame barnacle. You just listened to me say, like, yeah, and you would just, like, yeah, it's okay. You're going to let go of this pain. You're not going to be this pain forever, you know? Well, I think that was something that you and I both were open to was the idea that maybe... Maybe the person isn't who we think they are in yeah. the negative way. Like, be open to the idea that it's not necessarily so right. bleak. Yeah. And but I, I feel like we were all surrounded by guys that were quote-unquote bad news. we're all just winging it, yeah. you know, no matter what. Even in marriage, you're winging it, you know? Marriage is harder than we thought it was. We thought it was the solution, that we would all be happy when it all came. And it's still hard. Yeah. Marriage is hard. Married life is hard. Married life with kids is really hard. Um. I don't know, but yeah, we're all just swinging it. There was that article in the New York Times recently, like things I learned in my 40s or something, and one of them was like, forgive your exes because they were just swinging it too. It's not like there was a playbook. You should have done this. You should not have called this or said this or given that much away or talked about this on the first date, right? But we all were just so hard on ourselves about it. Well, I look back at these guys, like I, you know, even in my little story of all these guys who were wrong for me, or who were bad, it's like, in retrospect, I probably would have not wanted to get into anything serious with me either because I don't know what, I, I was acting out all sorts of stuff. I mean, But I think it's just wiser to forgive both parties at this point because I have no idea what vibe I was putting out. I, I didn't... Daddy issues. Yeah, right? Maybe they were seeing that too. And I think... There was this book I read recently about the nine saboteurs that we all have, like the ways in which we sabotage ourselves and judge ourselves. And I think that, like I said, we were very hard on ourselves for just not being better at dating. But who's good at dating? People who. Anyone who's good at dating, like, we're, we're dating with the means to an end. We want to have families and have someone to share our lives with it's not such a bad thing well so you said that you were taught to second guess yourself yeah yeah in what way um well my dad is very intellectual and and if I would push back at something that he was saying like you did this bad thing and I would say well I felt this and he's saying you're saying that feeling to justify what you did but really you did it because you wanted to do a bad thing, which I don't know if he's saying like I was a bad person, but he's saying you're using that as a justification. And so I really took that to heart. Was this like when you were a kid? If when you I was a kid. Yeah. Well, I was raised a Jehovah's Witness. So I forgot. about Yeah. That. And so yeah. when I was unable to follow those rules, which inevitably no one can follow those rules, at least not to a T. Like what's an example of something that you like? I liked to talk on the phone with my boyfriend after school and that wasn't allowed mm. or having a boyfriend wasn't allowed or talking no, on the phone? No, none of those things. Okay. Um, and once we were going to the movies and my parents took us and they didn't know that we had like become interested in each other. We were 16 and he held my hand in the back of the car and my parents found out and you know, it, there was no talking through it really. It was like, you did that because you're bad and you shouldn't do that kind of thing. Wow. Like that was bad. Don't ever do it again. Consequences. Like there's a lot, any kind of really extreme religious background is going to teach you to second guess yourself because you think 
I don't think this doctrine really speaks to me. But probably I'm saying that because that's the devil or some kind of bad forces. So uh, right, who's just be putting me. this thought in? Yeah, right. yeah. That is so intense. Yeah, to yeah. deal with that when you're growing up. That's why I'm still in therapy. So, yeah. <laughs> so how long did you con- do? You, I mean, I'm assuming you don't consider yourself Jehovah's Witness no, anymore. No, no, no. When did that happen? When I was about 21 or 22, I left the religion. But now I feel like. Like, I never celebrated Christmas or birthdays, and my kids do all of that. And sometimes I have a lot of insecurity doing those things for them because I feel like mommy doesn't know how to do this, ask daddy. Or, <laughs> like, I never had an advent calendar until this week or little things like that. I never had mistletoe until just this time around. Uh-huh. Um, I experience it for the first time with my kids, and they look to me like, what's this supposed to be like? And I'm like, I don't know, ask daddy. And I feel lame. About it, but also sad. I think I mourn the child that had to sit outside of all of the holiday parties at school and go home at Halloween and not do birthday parties and never associate with people who weren't Jehovah's Witnesses. And I can't, I couldn't figure out why I was telling my therapist, like, why am I processing this now? And she said, as your kids go older, you'll heal yourself from things at the age they are now. So your son, my son was, is now in school. He's in nursery school. And having holiday parties, and you're doing it for the first time, but also sad for your four-year-old self that didn't. So that probably makes sense. Yeah. So I didn't. So you weren't allowed to associate with people who weren't Jehovah's Witness. No. Mm-mm. Nope. So no, I never went to a dance or a football game or any secular school activities. I used to pretend that I was grounded, so that kids would think that I was not you know, some kind of religious sell it. And then Uh when we had to go door to door evangelizing, I would put all of my hair on one side if I saw someone from school hoping that they wouldn't bring it up later. Did you go to a public school? I did. Yeah. Were you the only Jehovah's Witness? There were three others. Yeah. Two or three others. But they were people that I would not have been friends with had we not just had the religion in common. Mm -hmm. So very good people, but not in my social group. So I felt like the type of people that I wanted to befriend, I couldn't, and I was otherwise sort of ostracized. And it wasn't something that we could talk about, really. Right. You know? And so one of my one of my best friends <clears throat> out in California was also raised Jehovah's Witness. So I know I know some of the stuff, and I know that she and she's no longer mm-hmm. um, a Jehovah's Witness. But I know about the not celebrating Christmas and not celebrating birthdays, but celebrating Jesus's death day, right? Um, the memorial of Jesus is either death or resurrection. But why no birthdays? The only reason they really give you is that Jesus didn't do it, according to the Bible. And the only accounts of birthdays in the Bible involved beheadings at the celebration. So by association, you shouldn't do it. Gotcha. And was there a lot of shame Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a lot. So, like, whatever I'm imagining as very like, extreme really religion would be. I didn't really do be... anything bad, but I always told on myself because of the guilt and always thought that I just was hedonistic. Were you, af- were you afraid of going to hell? Is that what would happen? Or no. Or just that... No, not, not really. I didn't I didn't really take on the consequences of like you don't make it to the afterlife as much. I just wanted to please my parents and be a good Jehovah's Witness. Gotcha. So, and for them. 
Now, are they both still? No. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, your whole. F- oh, okay. No, yeah. How did that go? Well, they got divorced. And so my dad was like, well, I don't have to do this for you anymore. It's <laughs> like most men, you know, I, want, I don't want to say that. I'll get dirty emails. Uh, you know, the, a lot of times men go to church for their wives at their wife's insistence. My dad was one of those. Who was your that. dad raised in it or not? No, no. Okay. No. Neither of them were. No. Oh. So they both, I think they both had Christmas and birthdays and sort of normal upbringings. Um, and the fact that we didn't, it's even hard to talk about it with them now because they I think it's hard for them to acknowledge that that caused us pain. Yeah. I'm sure it would be. And sometimes I just want them to hear it like that hurt, but I don't want to hurt them by saying it to them. It's, I know exactly what you're talking about. My sister was just telling, I saw her last week and she was, her husband was like, oh yeah, Lindsay told me the story that you guys used to watch from the upstairs window while your neighbors did their Easter egg hunt. And just kind of like two little sad girls watching from the window going, that looks like fun. (laughs) We didn't do any of it. Well, so what drew your mom to the church if she wasn't raised with it either? No. I got really sick as a baby. I was already born. I was a year old and I had spinal meningitis. And uh, they came knocking at her door right around when I was sick. And she said, well, this must be what God is sending me Mm -hmm. to save my baby. And I came through it. So she devoted herself to it. Did... All of you leave at the same time or was it like, was your mom still into it at the point at which you left? No, my sister was like, when she turned 18, I don't have to do this anymore. And my dad, then when he left the marriage, didn't have to do it anymore. And then my, myself, I, I just started to study. Like I went to college and I went to the library and I was like, I got to figure out what's behind this. And I sort of dissected it and realized this doesn't work for me. So I had to take a really like academic way out because Mm -hmm. I couldn't justify just not wanting it for myself anymore because of my like whole guilt second guessing thing. So yeah, I just started to look it up and realize it's not for me. So and then once my dad left, my mom had such a small pool of men to date with <laughs> that she's like, I need to get out of this religion and find myself a new boyfriend. <laughs> so do you miss not having that kind of structure that it provided at all? No, no. I don't miss anything about it. Like I don't have – no, no, not at all. And have you talked to your mom about what your – or your both your parents – Actually, is what I'm, I'm wondering. Have you talked to your parents about how you felt about having grown up with it? And it's because it sounds like you don't feel like it was a positive thing for you. Um, well, no, it, it taught me to public speak, though, because um, we had to give presentations really young. And I think that's one of the reasons I have the career I have now is because I don't have the nervous gene. I can get on the set of a national news right. network and I don't feel nervous. Um, and it made me study a lot, so I became a lot more academic. And also, because we couldn't go to any social events, I read other books. It made me very bookish in general. So there are there are positive things from it, but I don't otherwise like wish that I could have association with it at all. Yeah. You know? So do you not? This I'm remembering you telling me this. You don't. Do you never get? There's too many negatives in that sentence. Do you ever get nervous when you're about to to do a TV thing? Not really. Performing thing. No butterflies or anything. Not Did really. You feel tired before? No. A- any sort. Okay. Wow. No. Do you? Yeah. You I do mean, not. I will sometimes. Um, it depends what it is. If I'm trying to think when I do, I'll get really tired beforehand, which I never, I never thought that that was nerves until I was interviewing. Some, I think it was 
Kevin Nealon maybe or something. And I think I said, do you get nervous? And he said, no, but I get tired beforehand. And then I just started realizing, oh, I think that is it's how the nerves exhaustion. are yeah, manifesting themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think if I get butterflies. Occasionally I will feel a little fluttery. Yeah. Not often, but um, – and I before doing live TV – in New York, but I think because it was so early in the morning, I would I would get this fear that what if I and I didn't my the fear was what if I have a panic attack yeah on camera, but I didn't realize that like I didn't have those words to ascribe to the fear, so it was always just what if I all of a sudden forget how to talk clam up yeah mm-hmm. like lose completely lose my train of thought yeah which thankfully that never happened I don't think it actually would have. Because um, I would give myself this ridiculous pep talk, which I was like, Allison, you can do this. You're a professional. <laughs> Maybe it's not ridiculous. It was a, a silly. Not. It was a little. I would give myself a pep talk and then I would kind of break myself out of right. this fear of not being able to talk. But yeah, but I, I have had that get... happen to me before where just mid-sentence, I don't remember where I was going with that point. It happened to me once on uh, Closing Bell, which is this show at the Stock Exchange on CNBC. And I just mid-sentence stopped talking like that. that is my nightmare. And uh, I said, uh, sorry about that. I just had a brain fart for a second. And it was okay because, like, why can't I be human? And, yeah. and then, the you know, the host made a comment and then I came back around and I made my point. And for a second, I started to beat myself up about it. And then I was like, why? Why beat myself? Am I right. expected to be perfect and always have the is everyone like that is there someone who could have done it better and that was one of the things when I first started broadcasting I told my dad I'm like I'm really nervous I don't know why I'm doing this why am I making this career shift from writing to tv and he said who could do it better than you oh and I couldn't think of a friend that I thought like that friend could do it better than me I was like no why not me I'm just as qualified to take this leap as anyone else and I thought I think that's a really good pep talk to give yourself about anything like no matter what your career is ask yourself who's better suited for the for me than this and if you really like can come up with a long laundry list (laughs) of people either you're in the wrong profession or you're too hard on yourself yeah yeah because I think it's so easy to just beat up beat beat yourself up in an unrealistic way because you're holding yourself up to uh unrealistic completely unrealistic standard right right why can't we all just have a brain fart like sometimes the brain needs to reset there's too much so speaking of brains i want to tell you guys about true brain this podcast is brought to you in part by true brain true brain is a neuroscience company that's created the world's first drinks made from active nootropics designed to improve focus memory and mental clarity and my listeners can get their first supply of 40 percent off check it out at truebrain.com slash allison and gary has been taking true brain they come it comes in these little pouches it's like a little shot and you can either drink it straight or you can mix it with a smoothie chris have you noticed gary being like less of a dullard I uh, have noticed that. Huh? Actually, he's, he's quite sharp. He is. I'm, I'm kidding, Gary. You are never a dullard. But he's saying that it is making him feel more alert and able to focus. Uh, and it's designed by neuroscientists uh, led by Dr. Andrew Hill, who has a Ph.D. in cognitive – he's a – excuse me. He's a Ph.D., uh, and he's a cognitive neuroscientist and a nootropics expert. Uh, and you guys – Again, can get your first supply at 40% off. It comes in a monthly supply to your door, and you can get your first box for $29.99, but it's normally $50. And get it by going to truebrain.com slash Allison, T-R-U-B-R-A-I-N.com slash Allison. Again, that's T-R-U-B, 
So don't put the E in there. Just T-R-U-B-R-A-I-N.com slash Allison to receive 40% off your first supply. Okay, let's do Just Me or Everyone. Okay. Sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done. Is it just me or everyone? All right. Bad Blood says, when someone bluntly misuses the word literally, I roll my eyes and sigh snobbily. Just me or everyone. I don't do that, but I do notice when people misuse literally. Yes, but literally is another one of those words that you probably just shouldn't use. Yeah. Unless you mean. Unless you really, really mean it. Because to say it on the air is another throwaway word. Yeah. Right. So get that out of your vocabulary, everybody. It's a word whisker. Unless you really mean it. Although I think now the figurative use of literally is probably in the Oxford English Dictionary because of usage. Chris is saying it is. I hate that. Is it really? Yeah, I think it was just recently added. I hate that. I literally hate that. (laughs) I think that's a pretty Valley Girl thing to do, though. It's not done quite as much outside of California, I think. Well, Um, the Oxford English Dictionary is the dictionary of Valley Girls. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> Stephanie Fowler Oxford raised ones <laughs> right Stephanie Fowler says just me or everyone get annoyed when someone in traffic used their windshield washer causes a chain reaction not nice okay I always would just do it willy nilly and only recently did I realize that it recently like within the last five years I realized that it does cause Blow back yeah the, all the water gets on the car behind you uh-huh. once should, should when my care? sister got her driver's license some girl was like trying to cut her off or you know she's having like a dogging fight like they're the girls were dogging they each were other dogging each other so she sped up and got in front of them and turned on her windshield wipers just to throw water on their car so wow. that girl got in front of her this is like east bay kind of you know shenanigans yeah and did her windshield wipers and we were like that's un- un- unoriginal but it was punitive <laughs> is what i'm saying yeah um and we knew it so people who don't know better now they should your sister is your sister tough yeah, yeah. I feel like you wouldn't have done that, would you? Heck no. I'd be too scared. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. And this was in like East Oakland kind of thing. You don't do that kind of stuff. Mm-mm. Some people do, though. In fact, you know my friend Corinne. Do- oh, yeah, Remember yeah. Corinne? Uh-huh. My friend Corinne and my friend Courtney, two of the toughest white girls you've ever... Like, they both had multiple stories of having gotten in physical fights with people because someone <laughs> said something shitty to them yeah, and they were just not going to take it. Yeah. Whereas I, like, I'll take it all over, up and down. Motherhood will change you in that way, though, because I find myself standing up for things I never would have before. I wrote a post on Medium about how, like, motherhood helped me grow a pair because I'll just, like stand up for things i don't know why i just have such a low tolerance now for incompetence and bullshit can i say bullshit yes you can okay um once you have kids and that's something that i really appreciate about myself now um so i've mentioned that i've been going to this pet loss grief support group thing Uh and there was this woman there talking about she's a nurse and we were sort of a lot of us have these stories of feeling um frustrated with the veterinary community and feeling like vets some some people have stories of like their vet was wonderful and everything yeah. went well and they're just still they just can't get over yeah. the loss of their pet and then other people have these stories of um feeling let down and feeling like someone might have fucked up and feeling like or just feeling like the you know sort of like how I felt which is that the vet just treated 
Oliver as if he was disposable, like no compassion, no. It sounded like it was just like on an assembly line, like defe- defective one. Yes. Out, you know. Yeah. Next dog. Right. That's yeah. how it's very much how it felt. And then you hear these people who people who have these situations with vet or have where they there's a euthanasia, but the vet is almost like a therapist, like so mm. kind and so yeah. compassionate and making them feel better versus our guy was like a robot. I mean, just so anyway, it was awful. That was not my point. That my point was she was saying that life is too – she realized that life is too short to not be a bitch about some things. And she lets people know how she feels about yeah. that. Because she's like, I hope you let them know how you feel. Right. And I'm like, oh, I haven't. I mean, if they listen to my podcast, they'd know, but I haven't. <laughs> she's like, life's too short to not be a bitch. And I was like, I, I need some of that. Yeah. Not all of that, but right. some of that would be good because how – in fact, I was just talking to someone else, a producer, and who's who's he's actually a few years older than I am. But he was saying, we're too old not to be blunt. Right. Like, how long am I going to walk through this world relating to people as if I'm still a child? Have you seen that um, – it's like a wall art that looks like – like a period piece that says the older I get, the more people can kiss my ass. No, but I like it. Yeah, it's kind of a good mantra. Um, and really to stand up for your child feels so good. And I'm sure it would feel really good to stand up for your pet in the same way. Right. Like you, who is that that comedian on your podcast? Um, I've actually met her. She was one of the creators of The Daily Show. Liz Winstead. Liz Winstead. She had said, you know, it was so funny. She said on your show that vets are such a big racket. It's like, check the teeth, squeeze the balls, 100 bucks. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of times you do feel like, come on, give me a little bit more right. from that. Yeah. But to stand up for him, I think, would be very therapeutic for you right now. There's this woman who got really upset because my daughter was potty training. We were at the pediatrician, and the pediatrician was asking about her potty training. So I gave some details, and the woman slammed the door of her exam room. It was like, ugh. And then when we were walking out, I was like, Ava, do you have to use a potty? And the woman was like, if I wasn't sick when I came in here, I am now. What is? And I was like, lady, do you realize you're at a pediatrician's office where we're supposed to talk about children's bodily functions? Right. She had a teenager with her. I was like, did that teenager of yours just tuck a Wall Street Journal under his arm one day and <laughs> take care of it himself? Like, did you never have to deal with this? And she's like, well, you're just really rude and gross. And I was like, you better get in your car right now because, like, she's potty training. She was like, good for her. I'm like, it is good for her. It's hard to learn something new. You should try that. And I just wanted to choke her. But it felt so good to say that because I otherwise would have just walked away and been like, oh, that woman's being kind of rude. Maybe I've offended her. I don't know why. But to like lash out for your child like and in the moment right and say the right words and you know like it did feel like the whole day I was mentally like kicking her butt all over New Jersey like I just wanted to rip out every hair and eyebrow in her face I still do but there's something very empowering about having like your child to stand up for right that teaches you really to grow a pair in a way that I never had before yeah all right. I look forward to doing that. Yeah. Cover D says, I find that's the funniest thing you ever said to be a assault. It depends if the thing you said really was hilarious. Well, I get what he's saying. What he's saying is when someone says that's the funniest thing you've ever said, what they mean is you don't say that many funny things, I think is what he's suggesting. I guess. Or if you're trying to say something serious, then they're Well, then it's an insult. Yeah. yeah. Dylan Barnes says, just me or everyone, after dipping my... Oh, Chris, you got to weigh in because it's about chips and dip. Just me or everyone, after dipping my chip and dip, sends in the rescue chip. 
Yeah, you can't leave the residue chip. Right. For someone else. People who do that at parties, that's rude. Yeah. And it's a little bonus chip for your next your next venture into the dip. Right. Okay. J Mo's and Bobo says, I feel self conscious when buying melons or cucumbers. Are you buying just a cucumber? And a melon? <laughs> Uh, no, I don't feel self-conscious about that. No. But I do. I've done this at the store before where <laughs> I, I like put the watermelon on the belt and I say, I carried a watermelon. <laughs> and the clerks never get it. Do you know what that's from? It's a movie line. No. What is it from? Dirty Dancing. I carried a watermelon. No. I didn't know. Did you guys I knew know? it was something funny no, though. Too, no. Okay. When does this happen in Dirty Dancing? When she... Um, first meets Johnny for the first time and he's like yo cuz what's she doing here and he's like she's with me she came with me and she's like I carried a watermelon like and then he walks away and she's like I carried a watermelon oh I'm remembering this now yeah, yeah. it's a great line so but no one ever gets <laughs> well now they will if they listen to this I wish someone someday some like <laughs> grocery store clerk is gonna be I don't know I don't know what the appropriate like just laugh or smile just laugh, or, yeah they, they just don't get exactly. it at all Gypsy Bagelhand says, I know that I can't crack eggs gracefully with one hand. Doesn't stop me from trying every month or so with disastrous results. I say keep trying till you can do it. You'll be able to. One day. And then someday you'll be flipping them in the pan. That's right. Can you do that? No. No. Yeah. I'm still working on poaching more than one egg at a time. You need to get one of those egg poacher things. Maybe. Yeah. Do you just crack them into the water? Yeah. I learned how to do that on YouTube. YouTube can teach you a lot of good things. Some good things, yeah. Could teach you how to crack an egg with uh, one hand. That, for example, that is one of them. Yeah. Maybe Charlie, I one of my skills actually, I can crack eggs pretty well. Just in case anyone needs someone who can do that in their life, I'm right here. Charlie McClanahan says, when drying off, I start with my head, then arms, face, and front of body, legs, back, and last, of course, butt. Um, trying to think my order of drying off. Yeah, I'm trying to think why this is noteworthy, mm. like a thing that only you would do. Ideally, you'd want to go from top to bottom. Right. Yeah. But he goes top, bottom, and then around the back. Right. I said, I said ideally. I don't even think I go top to bottom. I, I think I go back last just because it feels the farthest. Right. I think for women, if your hair is wet, that changes the game. Yeah. Well, so for me, the first thing – well, it depends – which towel is nearby? Mm-hmm. If it's the hair towel, then I wrap my hair in the towel and yeah. then I go, ooh, 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 and I'm all cold and I go right. and get the other towel and I'm like, fuck, why didn't I put that closer to the shower? Yeah. If it's the other one, then I get out and I'm like, and then I shake my, I wrap that around myself mm-hmm. and then I put my hair in the towel. Do you wash your hair every day? No. Yeah. Um, I like to be able to wash my hair every day, but it's been too long since I've had it straightened. So now I don't do it every day. Do you? No, no. How often? I'm just lazy. Uh, every two or three days sometimes. Yeah. Which is your best hair day though? Usually the second. Really? One day after, not three. Yeah. Three is just, I'm too lazy. I haven't worked. I haven't had anywhere to go. So motherhood, you know, it's like you put on yoga pants and you're done. So who cares <laughs> if I wash my hair? Brent Hudson says, when I microwave a burrito, half is red hot, half is frozen, or it comes out too hot to eat unless I let it cool forever. Oh, no. Oh, no. If this happens to me, I yawn. I'm sorry. Um, I feel like you need to check your microwave. Yeah. I don't know how, but it shouldn't be that way. Maybe rotate it. Like yeah. Do you through? have a little rotating plate in there? Strategic things. 
Yeah. We want to be I want to be with you Brent though. You're you are a normal person but your microwave is fucked. <laughs> and finally, Luann D says I like to leave coupons I'm not going to use on grocery shelves for others to take, like a little coupon fairy. Oh, That's how so cute. nice. I've never done know, that. No, but I like that idea. Yeah. No, I haven't. And now, like, it seems like every segment I do on the Today Show has some kind of coupon app. So you can always just screenshot them and, like, send them out into the world, I guess. Right. Yeah. How unromantic. I like your way better. Yeah, that is nice. I'm trying to think if I've ever found a coupon. That I don't you think could I have. Use. Right. I, yeah, I don't think I have. No, but sometimes like someone's coming out of a game or something. It's like I have an extra ticket or that that's kind always of stuff. nice. That's yeah. fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember years ago, I was doing a thing for Rolling Stone and I interviewed Kiss at some like big. It was the Kiss Psycho Circus tour or something like that, and it mm-hmm. was this big press. If no, not a press event. A um. Oh, my God. Brain fart, just like we had talked about. I think that's totally normal. Or you're a shitty person (laughs) who doesn't deserve a podcast like this. What is it called when there's an event to, like, get people excited about something? A press event? A press Maybe it was, like, a press thing. But it wasn't just press that was there. It was a But the public was allowed there, too, I think. It was a fluffer event. It was, a, I guess. There's a word, I think, for what I'm talking. It was like a kiss pep rally. Okay. Maybe it was a press event. Or a press re- I don't know. It's not important. But they had given us these us these folders with all these press releases and all this like kiss a kiss folder with a bunch of kiss materials inside, including the CD. And I had a kiss laminate. And as I was on my way out, there were all these diehard kiss fans lined up waiting to get in. And one. I don't know if she asked me or if I just gave it. I just gave the whole thing to someone, uh-huh. which I think was a nice thing for me to do because yeah. they want it more than I do. But I look back on that and I'm like, that was a collector's item. Why did I just hand that over? Because you wanted someone to have a nice experience and you were thinking about someone else. I hope that's what it was as opposed to I was like, I don't want to carry this thing around. I did something like that. I covered concerts too for the Oakland Tribune and I did a Julio Iglesias and there was a guy sitting next to me who was a super fan and kept, like, pumping his fists in the air, <laughs> even during ballads. Um, and I had a backstage pass, and I had an extra one. And I wished – I wanted to give it to him, but I was too shy. And after the event, I just wished that I had done that for that person, and I kicked myself about it. So All right. it's good that well, you so didn't I'm have not, regret. Yeah, not really kicking myself. It's just money that it potentially would have been worth. But I don't ever – But were you going to sell that on eBay? Or... No. That's the you thing. You weren't going to do that, anything with no. it. No. You, you do sell stuff on eBay, don't you? No. You have before, mm, I think. When I was in graduate school – I, I don't sell things that I get from press events or – no, not usually. But I mean like devices or – not press things but like just anything. Like no. I've never actually sold something on eBay and there's a lot of stuff that I would like to get rid of that I should. I just haven't gone through the effort. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes. I, I got two of those robotic strollers when my daughter was born. And those things are not very good. You don't even want one of them. So I did sell them. And it was worth like $900, but it cost me $200 to ship it. So, right. But even still, it was you know, worth selling it rather than having it in my garage. How does a robotic stroller work? It collapses and then oh. opens up by a push of a button. It doesn't actually walk the baby. <laughs> that seems dangerous, though. 
It's it has isn't. a safety mechanism okay. where it won't fold where the baby's in it, but it's really heavy, which is what you don't want from a stroller because you're trying to like put so much other stuff when you've got a baby. So it's it's a party conversation piece, and definitely because when I would use it, people would just like, "Whoa, is that the origami? Amazing!" <laughs> um, other moms knew to be impressed, but then I felt like an asshole because I have a nine hundred dollars stroller, yeah. and I felt like I had to justify that I wouldn't spend nine hundred dollars on a stroller. Um, yeah, I remember yeah. I, have a, I have a friend who said that she described it as having price Tourette's. So, like, if anyone ever complimented her on anything, she'd be like, yeah. oh, I got it on sale. Was da, 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 you know, constantly yeah. justifying anything nice oh, that she had. I thought that was, like, a, a Latin thing, that Latins always do that. Like, oh, you like my shirt? Half off a Target. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. But it could yeah. be that, too. I can't believe I didn't ask you about two big events, which was the birth of both of your kids uh-huh. How did, how was that? Did you good good? I did it. You know, I went the vagina route, so no C section. It was good. That's rare these days. It seems. Yeah, yeah. Were I they did induced? a pretty good job. Um, yes, they were both induced. Uh, Epidural. Yes. Yeah. How was the pain? Um, I dilated pretty much all the way with my daughter, and then I had the epidural because I just couldn't take it. Um, and it's funny, my mom was saying the other day, because we have video of their birth, and uh, it's all very professionally edited by my <laughs> husband. And in the first one, so we weren't married when my son was born. So I'm very polite. I'm just like, honey, can you please not do that? In the second one, I, I was like, get out of here. <laughs> like I threw that birth, uh, no, the uh, barf bucket, the, the little thing at uh-huh. him. And I was like, go get her. I have to push. And I was just like so much more... You know, assertive. Yeah, assertive <laughs> the second time around because I was the wife instead of the partner. Right. Um, yeah, and uh, I have this funny memory of my daughter. When I had my son, they gave me these hospital issued socks that didn't fit very well, mm-hmm. and they were really bothering me while while I was pushing. I was like, I just wish these socks were more comfortable because <laughs> I could focus on the comfort of the socks. But instead, I'm just uncomfortable every- everywhere. Right. So when I went to have my daughter. I bought socks just to give birth in. So they put me in the stirrups and I'm like, get those socks out of the suitcase. Like open the brand new package and give it to me. And the, the midwife was like, you don't want those. They're going to get gross. Just let's go without the socks. And I was like, I want them. And my husband was like, no, it's fine. Just don't wear the socks. It's going to be fine. They'll get gross. And I was like, I need those socks. And they kept pushing back for some reason. But in my head, I was like, this is the one thing I can control. Right. I need comfortable brand new socks. And they kept pushing. Finally, I just screamed. I was like, I need the socks. <laughs> Just give me the socks. I can't push it. And then they did it. And then, like we threw them in the trash. Who cares? They were from Target. But I was gonna I say, what kind of like socks were these? They were just, just you know, new. yeah, just bobby socks, like little white socks. But I right. just wanted something that fit well and was clean, so I yeah. could control this one area of comfort in my body. So. so you had a midwife. I did for my second. Ha- yeah. And what? How was that? What was the difference like? She, they were great because you, you have, have a regular did you have doctor her in the hospital, but with a yeah, midwife. Yeah, yeah. Because I had my first in Manhattan, um, and they don't let you eat because they're afraid that maybe you're gonna something's gonna go wrong. You'll need a C-section, so you need an empty stomach. Uh-huh. So I was starving the whole day. And my second one, like with a midwife, they're like, do whatever. Like they don't care. You know, um, drink wine if you want. Like when they were trying to get my labor going, the. Uh, I had started contracting with my daughter and I was dilated to five, but the 
contractions just stopped. So she's like, well, go home. We'll try again tomorrow. Have some spicy food. Do some breast pumping because that makes you start to contract. Mm-hmm. Like put on your breast pump. Have a glass of wine. Have some sex. And I was like, we're doing all of those at the same time. <laughs> and my husband just blushed. He's like, oh, I don't want to <laughs> do that. But, you know, it's just you're so desperate to get that kid out of you. I would have done anything. to Like I was eating pineapple because that's supposed to bring it on. Mm-hmm. I was trying to lift heavy things. And you just get so desperate at the end. So, And was there an OBGYN there as well the second time? Or it's just like in There case- was one in the hospital, but I hadn't seen them. Right. Um, but I felt comfortable already that, you know, I, I, I felt comfortable that it was a good hospital. And if I needed someone, they would be there. Right. Um, I could have met with them ahead of time, but I was just like, I've done this already. I know I can get this kid out. So, How did you find the midwife? Great. I just loved them. I loved them completely. So oh, I meant like literally. Oh, oh, from a from a uh, neighbor. So gotcha. although one of them was like, she's a really big fan of my husband. Didn't realize it until like my last checkup. I was like, oh, you're and I was already dilated, and yeah. she just kept asking him questions. She's like, I've listened to everything you've ever done. I follow you on Twitter. I know you. And then I was like, can we get back to the issue <laughs> at hand, please? And uh, she, yeah, it, she's been such a great resource, and it was great to have that like little leg up on mm-hmm. the other pregos but also kind of annoying (laughs) right (laughs) that makes sense yeah so all told how painful is it um i mean you did it twice yeah the the contractions if you go without the epidural the worst part is when you know one's coming because it does feel like someone's gonna is sawing you in half right in the middle it hurts a lot and you know it's coming you're like maybe this one isn't going to be so bad and then you just double over and it's pretty and I try I got in the tub I was on that ball like you know and it just was like give me the drugs so. what's the ball you sit on one of those exercise balls oh, and I like roll your hips around and see if it can help with your back pain so it's bullshit basically <laughs> we have to do it <laughs> so <laughs> All right. Well, Natalie, it was so much fun having you on my show. I'm so glad this worked out. I'm glad it worked out that you were in town when we could could have you on the show. And it's been great to catch up. Yeah, you've had all of our like old posse on, I think, except Courtney. Have you had Courtney? No, I haven't. And Michelle Geelan. Is Michelle out here? Sometimes. Her mom's here. So you'll have to catch her. And then Courtney. She's a big shot now. Yeah. Courtney Friel. Yeah. But you had Lauren. I had had Anna. Who else that we knew? So I yeah, think those are the people. you're about to come full circle. But Michelle is no, does she, she doesn't do television anymore, does she? She doesn't. She's got a, uh, her and her husband are sort of personal empowerment, positive psychology speakers. And they, he has a book. I think she contributes to it. And then she does public speaking. Um, It'd be great if they're secretly miserable at home. Yeah, they're, they're like really happy. Even sometimes when I'm like, I want to text her some gossip about like the old crowd, like she just. She's committed to being positive. Really? And yeah. She's she's really How amazing annoying. that way. She yeah. <laughs> she walks the walk. So yeah. That's impressive. She is impressive in that way. Yeah. So I ran into Courtney Friel at Costco. Oh, yeah. A long time ago, just before she was going to have her second kid. So that's how long ago that was. Oh, yeah. But yeah. Anyway, great story for the people who are like, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know you. Shut up. Everyone knows who those people are. Yeah. Everyone. Yeah. Everyone knows. <laughs> anyway. Super fun having you on the show. Tell everyone where they should go to find you. Uh, well, you can just find me on Twitter, I guess. It's Natalie Morris. Natalie with an I, no E. And uh, nataliemorris.com is my website. And uh, yeah, that's about it. 
<laughs> well, that is enough. And if you're going to buy something on Amazon, perhaps a super expensive stroller, click through the banner on my website, AllisonRosen.com. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it does help out the show. We have a ringtone available. Hey, 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 go fuck yourself. Get that by searching Hey Go Fuck Yourself on your iPhone in the iTunes store. We have two special bonus episodes available, recorded live at the LA Podcast Festival. The first one with Doug Benson and Greg Proops. The next one with Doug Benson and musician Matt Costa and much of the Thursday gang. And those are $1.99 in the comedy album section of the iTunes store. You can follow me on Twitter at Allison Rosen. You can follow the show's Twitter feed at A-R-I-Y-M-B-F. For Gary, at G. Patrick Smith. Chris, what do you want to plug? Oh, I'm on, I'm on the Thursday shows. <laughs> yeah, listen to this show on Thursday. Thank you. Wonderful. And you follow you on Twitter, though, at Chris Loxamana, right? Oh, correct. And Kayla. Oh, yeah, that. Don't worry about me. Perfect. Thanks again so much, and thank you guys for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen Show? Digital.